Greetings to each one of you this morning. I don't know if you've ever felt like you had a rough week. It's been uh, different or difficult or whatever. I'm trying to hold pages here. Um, difficult because of a busyness or curves that you weren't expecting and and things happen, and well, that's sort of how my week was. <clears throat> Maybe Mary and I both. But I appreciated the Sunday school lesson. My, when I think of hope, my mind often goes to Hebrews 6, which at the end, 19 and 20, says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Maybe I should read 18 that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, that we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. Yes, we have a hope that is sure and steadfast, and we need not worry about it. I guess probably maybe the sermon is for me today. What well, is? It is for me. Um, on our wall at home as I sit and study for um, a sermon, often at least, uh, I sit there and on the wall is written uh, the will of God will never take you places, I think. I'm sort of quoting what I think it is. Uh, take you places where the grace of God will not protect you. Um, and I think that's true. Um, what I'd like to talk about this morning is Jesus is enough. Um, and probably interchangeable, Jesus, God... We'll look at both. Um, Jesus often is, maybe we could say, more than enough, as we'll see in some of the scriptures that we have. But when we read about the news, uh, or we hear about news, you almost always hear bad news. Why does... Um, the media bring forth almost always bad news. They never tell you about what good's happening in the world. I guess it doesn't make good news somehow. It's always bad news, things that happen, adverse things that happen, um, problems that we're facing, things of unrest, uh, economic instability. And if you spend too much time on news, the negative news, you can get, um, well, it could depress you probably if you spent too much time there. Uh, if you didn't have Jesus or God in your life, you know when it's at a time when we have plenty, and I, I believe probably most of us here today, uh, I would suggest, probably have never been to the place I haven't in my life ever, I don't think. Um, wondered where my next meal's coming from. I've always had a next meal. 
I've always had something to eat, uh, which you can see that. Uh, when things are good, when we have a paycheck coming in and we have uh, business is going good, things are looking up, it's not hard to trust God, is it? It's those times when we come to the place where we wonder if things are going to be all right. And my mind always goes back to the Pentagon when uh, airplanes crashed in it or that one jetliner crashed in it. Uh, all of a sudden, people were on steps praying. All of a sudden, they, they, they turned to God where they didn't have a great, as great a need for Him before. Somehow, in times of plenty, in times of good times, uh, it's not real hard to trust God, it seems like. Are we really trusting God or are we just trusting on what we have? I'm not sure. But when things get tough, then it begins to look a little more bleak and we start, um, our faith is being put to the test and maybe we don't always trust like we should. A lot of countries have been persecuted for a long time and, and we read of stories there that encourage us because God meets those people's needs somehow. So I would like to look first of all at the nature of God. Um, God is enough, Jesus is enough. God holds a lot of titles, and of course He deserves them all, because He is everything good. But one of the names that we think about sometimes is, is, uh, of God is Jehovah Jireh. The name for God means the Lord who provides, and certainly He does. And many times, God doesn't just provide enough, there are times that we can read about that he supplies more than enough. David, in his Psalms 23, which we're all familiar with very much, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemy. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. And I think that's a beautiful picture of, a word picture of what should be our lives. My cup runneth over. Is your cup running over this morning? Is it spilling out to your co-workers, to your people that you see in the world today? Is your cup spilling out, running over to those, and they can feel the effects of it as well? God doesn't just bring us to the brim or fill our cup to the brim. David here felt like his cup was full and running over. He felt like he had more than enough. And I hope that's the way it is with us, and I hope that it does spill out to those around us. 
In John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 16, John writes, And of his fullness have we all received, and grace for grace. And I think what that is saying, the New American Standard Version translates that grace upon grace. Uh, one grace upon the other one. Not just one, not just an even, but he keeps piling on. It's a beautiful thought. And I believe if we look at our lives and, and meditate upon what God has done in our life, we can, we can say, very true, that's been my life. God has always been there. He's always been a grace to me in times of difficulty or in times when things didn't go well. Um, the Apostle Paul said in Romans 5.20, But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And I think we could look at that as, as God in our life being enough to... Um, where we find difficulties, where things come hard, His grace abounds even more if we depend on Him, if we turn to Him. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. In the beginning of this chapter, um, Herod the Tekarch, uh, he made a foolish promise to a young lady, and it ended up that he uh, allowed the beheading or called for the beheading of John the Baptist. And in verse 4, it says, For John said unto him, No, I'm sorry, I want to go down further. Um, let's see, I think I wrote it down here. No, it didn't. Okay, in verse 12, then after the death of John the Baptist, he had been beheaded. And his disciples came and took, took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by a ship into the desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the city. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past, and the send the multitude away that they may go into villages and buy themselves victuals or food. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart, give ye them to eat. And they said unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. And he said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down in the grass and took the five loaves and two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and brake and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples to the multitude. And they did eat, and were filled, and they took up the fragments that remained twelve baskets full. And they that had eaten were about five thousand men, besides women and children. I see Jesus here, and I can't help but think that at the death of John the Baptist, 
being 100% human as well as 100% God, uh, he had feelings about it. That was, uh, I think, cousin to him. And it was his forerunner, and now his death. And when Jesus heard of it, he departed. And it, it seems like he made the effort to go to a desert place, uh, a, a place out, maybe to get away from everything. Sometimes we feel like we need those times when we get away from everything and just sit back and, and process some things and figure out what we think about them or how we feel about them or whatever. But Jesus, as he went there, uh, a great multitude came. And the heart of God, again, moved with compassion. And he had compassion on the multitude. And he taught them, I'm sure. And then the time came when they needed to go home. And I, I don't know why he told the disciples, uh, they need not depart, give ye them to eat. Maybe he was testing them. Where, where was their faith and what would happen? Um... But he did have the five loaves and two fishes, and he broke, and he fed them all, 5,000 plus children and, and ladies and children. Have you ever wondered what happened to the 12 baskets that were left? It was more than enough. Um, I don't know as I've thought about it much, and I, of course, don't know what happened to them. Maybe it got sent home with them. Anyway, uh, the thought that I like about this is that Jesus is more than enough. He's certainly here had enough, more than enough. There are many times in our lives when we come to the place we wonder how things will work out, and certainly we're in a place of that today where our world is, is rocking. Um, we don't see a lot of stability in our world, and it seems as though at any point it could sort of go the wrong way. And there's not a lot of faith that we have that it will continue as it has but I think we can be reminded today through this scripture that um, even though our world is rocking, God is still on the throne. God is there. Uh, he was there for the children of Israel. Um, and he is there for us. He says that he has us in the palm of his hand. He talked about Israel being in the palm of his hand. Even though they were doing things and they were going into exile and things, uh, he had them in the palm of their head. God is very aware of our needs. He is very aware of what's going on around us. And obviously there's no panic in heaven of things happening. And we talked about it just a little bit in Sunday school that he has this whole scope planned out, and it's not a surprise to him when things go bad or go in a difficult way. He knows that, and he's there for us. A 
We do remember that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hebrews 11.6 says, he will never leave us nor forsake us. He will be there for us. And I think that is the key point. He is a rewarder of them that diligently, continually, always seek him uh, and make him a part of their life. Now, if you like, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. I'd like to begin reading here in the uh, I'm sorry, I wrote some things down wrong today. Um, I'm looking for where Ahab, Elijah came to Ahab, and um, Elijah told Ahab that he was, it was not going to rain. Was back in the brother back here. Yes. 17. Oh, yeah. In the end of uh, chapter 16 is what I wanted, verse 29. It says here, and in the 30th, 30 and 8th year of Asia, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 20 and 2 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. That always amazes me that it says that when we read through first kings there's many uh kings that well it seems like it almost always says that they did evil in the sight of the lord and as i was reading through first kings for my devotional it was a breath of fresh air when you came to one that says and he did that which is right in the sight of the lord and there was not many that that turned that way unfortunately but we find here that Ahab, in verse 31, And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sense of Jeroboam, 
the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel that went before him. Not a good testimony for Ahab. He, he built and worshipped um, idols, and he, he brought people to, I mean, move them toward idols. He built uh, a shrine, you might call it, a place where they housed the, the idol, and he worshipped that. Then in verse uh, in chapter 17 in verse 1, Elijah the Tishbite, who was in, in the inhabitants of Gilead, Gilead uh, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to thou, my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence. And turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it came to pass that thou, and it shall, shall be, that thou shalt drink of the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. Most of us know this story very well, uh, where King Ahab became uh, king over Israel. He married Jezebel, and they were very much into idol worship worship other than God. And it's amazing to me when we read that he, he was worse than anyone before him. By all appearance here, Israel had been living a pretty good life. They had uh, stability. They had uh, many things that were coming to them. They had uh, good years, but here Elijah stood before uh, Ahab and told him that there would neither be dew nor rain uh, until he, for as long as he would say. So, and I often think about people that were in this situation here where Israel was, was a lot of them were going to idol worship I would certainly think there was some among them that didn't, uh, were not into idol worship, but had not forsaken God. But Elijah told him that judgment was coming. And I'm sure that King Ahab here didn't want to hear that judgment was coming. He didn't want to hear that what he was doing was wrong, that his worshiping... Uh, was going to cause judgment to come. But Elijah stood up and spoke the word of God to him. 
uh, letting him know that there was judgment coming for his actions. And I, you know, as we think about people that were along with this, were maybe taken into exile or judged according to what Elijah said, there was a drought there. Uh, it affected everyone. And yet, God, at least in Elijah's life, had a protection for him. He told him to get him hence and go to the brook Cherith, uh, and he would command the ravens to feed them. And I think about other people in Israel. I wonder what God did, and I think if we knew all the stories, we would probably be astounded how God helped those that were not into Baal worshiping or were not allowing the evil in their homes and their part of their lives. However, it affects all of us, and I think if we see America go down, uh, it will affect all of us. However, I believe we can stand on the promises that God gives us that he's always preserved a remnant of believers out of places like that that have not bowed their knees. So as, as uh, Elijah fled then uh, because God told him to go, he headed east to hide out at, at the brook Cherith on the other side of Jordan, and there he could drink fresh water, and he had ravens come. I don't know. That would have been quite something to, to uh, it would have been both lonely and, and encouraging to see the ravens come with meat and uh, things to eat. Interesting time of Elijah's life, and yet he could look at the mercies of God and see that God is enough. He is there for him, to protect him, to keep him. And I'm always reminded of Romania and, and things that people have said. Uh, I remember, and I, I can't get the name of the, the lady, um, but she talked about God. There was a knock at the door and there was a hand that gave them a loaf of bread. Uh, obviously, it was God's hand. They needed something to eat. And she talked about when clothes were sent over, there were clothes sent her perfect size. God was in control. And he had, uh, he had them in mind during that time. And I believe here he had Elijah in mind and he probably had many more in mind as he, he kept them. We just don't read about them. But there were many that suffered. And certainly Ahab here began to get the blunt of it. Because as time went on, uh, Elijah had plenty of time there. And I can't imagine, but it was lonely at times. But God kept sending him food. But finally the brook dried up. He had time to relax, pray, uh, contemplate God's plan, figure out what God maybe is doing, and as often is, we probably can't, we can't figure it out. We don't know what God's up to because it's not always uh, made known to us, but we need to trust. We need to 
commit our lives to him, we need to know that he is going to be there for us just as it was in Elijah's life. So the brook finally dried up and he didn't have water. And so if we continue um, reading here, I think in verse 8, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a woman, widow woman, there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a, the widow woman was there gathering sticks, and he called unto her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water and a victual in a vessel and that I may drink and as she was going to fetch it he called to her and said bring me I pray thee a morsel of bread in thy hand and she said as the Lord thy God liveth I have not a cake but a handful of meal and a barrel and a little oil and a cruise and behold I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat and die. When we look at the widow woman here, first of all, she was preparing her last meal. In her mind, her life was over. Um, and I guess when you think of Elijah coming there and asking for a, a meal or something to eat, um, she could have said, I don't have anything, or this is the last that I have, um, and then I'm going to die. I guess she did tell Elijah that. In her mind, it wouldn't make a whole lot of difference did she give Elijah the food or go ahead and eat it. Either way, they were going to die. And Elijah said unto her in verse 13, Fear not, go and do as thou as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and her, she and he, and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail. According to the word of the Lord, which he had spake by Elijah. <clears throat> we find here a test of faith. And sometimes we meet those things in life. We find that we have a test that God sends us. And we don't know which way to turn. We don't know what we should do. And here, Elijah put the woman to the test, and he said, you go make me some. The Lord has said he will provide for him, uh, for you and your son. And so she did. She went, and she obeyed the commandment of the Lord, really. It was Elijah told her, but I believe it was the Lord. And when we turn to God and we obey his voice. We have a lot of scriptures before us that tell us the will of God. 
And when we turn, even in the dark times, even though we can't see when it's so foggy, we can't see before us, and we don't know how it's going to turn out, if we go to the Word of God, we trust Him, we lean on Him, as this woman did, I believe our cruise of oil, our meal barrel will not fail. And I'm not talking about physical food. There may be times that we would get hungry. I don't know. But I believe God would take care of us. He will be there for us. He has always been there for His people. And we can look to God for our help. And we know that God will do that, just as He did the lady here in obeying His commandment. Um, it never failed until the day that rain was sent. And we don't really read of that. However, uh, of her cruise of oil, not when it discontinued. But he said it would go until that time. <clears throat> Is your faith being tested today? Or has it been tested and the question is, will it be tested? And how will we respond to that at that time? Um, I believe we here in America, um, we look at the millions of babies that America has killed. And we allow sexual perversion to come as the norm when people today, of all things, don't even know if they're male or female, um, it, it makes you wonder. Um, morality and things are going down. I, I can't but believe God will judge at some point, and we don't know when that will be. But I don't think we need to be afraid of it, and I don't think we need to um, stumble at the things. No, none of us like it. And none of us want it to happen. But Matthew 6:28, Jesus said, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not life more than meat, and the body than raiment? He will be there for us. We can trust him. We can follow him. And there would be many scriptures that we could go to and, and see that God was always there for his people, especially when they turned their hearts toward him. We go through the life of Israel, and every time they would fail, disobey him, and he would punish them, he would bring judgment upon them. The minute they turned and repented, he was back. He was there. He would lift them up. He would increase their... Uh, whatever they needed, he was there for them. And I believe as we trust in our God, as we trust him with our resources, the things that we have, uh, and have faith in him, he will be more than enough. He will be more than we need. Um, he tells us that the birds of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? He will look, look out for them. In fact, every day they come to my dog dish. Not mine, our dog's dish. 
and they steal from it. <laughs> Sometimes we set it inside the screened-in porch so they can't keep stealing their food. Anyway, but I don't know how many of you know Raymond Brunk. A lot of you do. He says, yeah, they steal their, their food from the farmer, and which is, you know, true. God takes care of them. He takes care of the birds, and that's what they do. Uh, they sow not, they neither reap, but they get fed. <clears throat> which of you taking thought can add one cubit unto your stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Um, and we do. We marvel at what God does in our world. The beautiful flowers in the spring and, and the things that we see. It's marvelous. Um, and verse 33 of Matthew 6 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And I don't know how well we do that. Um, I hope that we seek first the kingdom of God. I hope we get that part right. Whether we uh, take no thought for tomorrow, sometimes I think we take too much thought for our future, for tomorrow. And we stew and, and think about how we're going to make it or how we will gain, how we will uh, build up our little empire. And yet God tells us, don't worry about it. He'll take care of us. And maybe we could do better in that point. At least I could. May God bless you as you depend on him. He's enough. He's more than enough. And he will see us through, regardless of what we might face in life, uh, he will be there. Shall we have a song? <clears throat>